Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start It Up podcast. Have on a long-awaited guest, Blake Bowles. He is the author of a new book, Why Are You Still Sending Your Kids to School? And in this episode, I, I've got to be honest with you, I, I was having a lot of fun back and forth. He's the kind of guest I look forward to because he's very conversational. And um, I start off a little bit, uh, I, w- I don't want to say aggressive, but I was, I was wanting some some answers. And uh, in the back and forth, I probably learned more just hearing myself talk out loud as he was explaining some of the unschool and homeschool movements and got to be honest with you, as a public school teacher, I was wanting to push back a little bit, but he made a lot of sense. And if anything, he really challenged me to, um, you know, dig in and, and start understanding what these movements are about. Full disclosure, I have some family members that also are a part of homeschooling co- co-ops, so I wasn't closed-minded to it. Um, but this episode for sure allowed me to kind of ponder more things as we start looking for educational reform. So I know that you're going to enjoy this one. If you know of a homeschool parent or people that are in the unschool movement, you might want to pass this one along. It is a great episode and also really found Blake to be a spectacular guy. So I know you're going to enjoy this one without further ado, Blake Bowles. All right, now I'm happy to be joined by Blake Bowles. He is the author of the new book, Why Are You Still Sending Your Kids to School? The Case for Helping Them Leave, Chart Their Own Paths, and Prepare prepare for Adulthood at Their Own Pace. Blake, thanks for being on the show, man. Don, thanks so much for having me. I don't know how much you've... um, See, normally I, as the interviewer, are supposed to research the author... But um, whoever set us up knew what they were talking about because, yeah, between my life as a teacher for 21 years and what we did and then my life now running this foundation, um, you had me hooked to the title, although it took us way long to get here. I mean, sorry about that. I just, yeah, we, 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 have, we have been preparing to do this interview now for what, a month and a half? Months, months, yeah, months yeah. Plural, extensively. Yeah. <laughs> my bad. So I've been excited to talk to you, that's for sure. Um, Let's just dive right into the really catchy title, and then we'll get to all your background and all that fun stuff. But what compelled you to write a book and then title it so provocatively? Well, I originally wrote books for young people, inspired by the Teenage Liberation Handbook, because Grace Llewellyn wrote that book for teenagers, and I thought, that's really cool. And I eventually discovered that young people were not the ones finding my books. Their parents were, and mostly their moms were, and they were reading them and then handing them off to their kids. And so I finally realized at book number four here that I should write books for parents. And when I was thinking up the title, I thought about a hundred boring titles. And then I thought, you know what? I'm here trying to defend this alternative path that I really feel like should be the mainstream path. I think the burden of proof should be shifted. And I think that's what it's going to be like in the future when parents are sending their kids to some conventional school and the kids really not thriving there. You know, other people are going to say, why are you still sending your kids to school? It's like, what are you doing? Why stop doing this? There's so many other good things you could be doing with your kids. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Uh, Like uh, I remember I had this uh, pushback and I'm not name dropping. I'm, I promise you, but uh, I'd, I'd had a conversation with Gary Vaynerchuk and um, I was telling him about my class. I had a class called Innovation and Open Source Learning, right? And the class was basically, 
Uh, if you had an hour and a half to yourself, what would you do? What would you want to work on? But I was going to help you set goals and keep you accountable. And that, that was the secret sauce, right? Is the accountability. Otherwise it turns into a, like a study hall. Um, so essentially what we had done was, is like you, you turned it into goal setting slash innovation slash we call it again open source learning at the end of it so like we first seven or eight weeks we taught you how to think for yourself how to backward design how to project manage but then open source learning and like open up your world to i'm not going to teach you so the kid says i want to learn how to uh code an app using python yeah great i don't know how to do that so in some ways like gary was like that's cool but you're never going to convince schools to have that as a class you had a rare instance where the superintendent and the principal were in lockstep and said, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. He goes, that's a one in a million. He says, you should be reaching the parents because they're pissed off. So when you said that, I, I, I thought of that, that conversation I had because like he made a lot of sense that his point was, is like, if, if my son who was at the time, he was in like third grade, he's like, if my son were a sophomore in high school, could you get a school to do that class in one year. I'm like, no, it usually takes him two years to decide. He's like, like, see, this is why you straight take it to the parents. So I, I love the fact that you wrote a, a provocative title, but yeah, you figured out that the parents are, are really concerned. Um, so going through writing this book, um, like what was weighing on your heart the most say, well, I actually just asked, are you a parent? I'm not a parent. That's a very important thing to put on the table. Well, no, because like, I, I didn't know if like some of this was out of your own empathy because I know when I started my class, I had my own kids in mind. So anyway, so like what was, what was weighing in your heart to write a book like this um, and then also give it such a provocative title? Well, well, I'm not a parent myself. I've played the sort of crazy uncle or adventure travel leader role to lots of other people's kids, mostly teenagers. That's my bread and butter. And so I felt like I'd crowdsourced enough information and especially because I've been running these international trips for teens where I get to hang out with a group of like a dozen teens for six weeks in a foreign country. You really get to know them quite well. And when parents aren't around, they will often open up and tell you things um, about their lives. And so that's been my little sort of laboratory for learning about teenage unschoolers and self-directed learners. And so putting this all together, I thought, even though I'm not a parent, I got some experience. And I also have done a ton of reading and research. And I said, there's enough content here to make a really compelling case for not sending your kid to conventional school anymore. If it's, there are these clear warning signs that the kid is not fitting in there. And I just, there's so many good books out there in the alternative education space, but there's not quite a book that put all the puzzle pieces together like I wanted it to. And so that's what compelled me. That's what made me have to write this book. So I'm looking over and, and I, I liked uh, some of the endorsements you had and the one that jumped off. And like, I, I'm a fan of some of the people that, that are, are giving us some praise, right? Because like, I literally owe a lot of my career to Dan Pink, um, Jane McGonigal. Mm. Uh, like, like I, so obviously Ted Dendersmith, people like this, Seth. Um, these are people that are always been really, really active and talking about the reinvention of school. However, um, I know that I've lost some people when uh, the people that are really, really cautious, right? So, um, well, that's good for somebody else's kid, but my kid's still going to go to college and they're still going to go to traditional school because 
look how I turned out. Um, how do you gently put this book? Not that ever a book should be marketed to all people. I get that. But I do think that more parents need to be open up to this kind of book. I, I really believe in it. Um, but I, I'm just picturing, um, and I'm just going to be grossly stereotypical, but the PTA mom who's really gung-ho about her daughter's or her son's high school, and she's already got it planned out. They're going to go to state university, and they're going to major in this. When they see that title, they're not going to put it up. They're not going to pick it up because they're like, oh, no, no, no. How do you gently, or how, you know, how, how, do, how does yeah. one get them to read things that I think that are extremely important for you guys to consider now? Yeah, that's the million dollar question right there. Uh, I think the provocative title might help a little bit. At least it, it'll polarize them. It's, you know, I want to hate this book, so I'm going to pick it up and look at it. Um, but I've gotten feedback on the book from people in the alternative education space. And a lot of the, the stuff that I've enjoyed hearing is when they say, this is a really balanced take on this. You don't feel like an ideologue. You don't feel like you're just saying everyone should homeschool or unschool or go to a radical alternative school. And I bring up a lot of the criticisms, which I think are valid criticisms of these unconventional methods of education. Just to give one specific example, the world of homeschooling research is just so fraught with bad social science. It's shocking. And in the world of homeschooling, no one talks about that. We'll talk about, you know, some some surveys that are conducted that show that some homeschoolers do well in some cases. And people point to that and they say, all homeschoolers therefore can do well. It's like, no, come on. We got to be serious about this. And if we rely on, you know, shoddy research, if we rely upon these myths and stereotypes, like homeschoolers do better on standardized tests than, than kids who go to public school, it's like, we're not going to get anywhere. And so I think that by giving a, a really even handed approach to this. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that that will get me more of the skeptics. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I agree with you. As a matter of fact, I think this whole COVID thing, oh, this is where I get myself in trouble. I, I like, so my, for the record, uh, my sister uh, ran a, a co-op uh, of homeschoolers in what is, I think, the mecca of homeschool. Like Cincinnati is bustling with a lot of homeschool networks. Um, and I, I saw maybe through her lens, there was a lot of bashing of, um, homeschooling from, uh, well, not from where I'll just keep that to myself right now, but you know, like there was a lot of people that were jokingly saying during COVID, wow, do we respect homeschoolers? And we didn't know is this hard. And then some homeschoolers like, Hey, we've been doing this for a while. You might want to take a look and you might want to like, it's not just throwing some books at them and saying, go. Um, but I did see a lot of like <laughs> hit pieces on, on the unschooling and homeschooling movement. So my question is, even though I loaded it bad, are you seeing more people considering and opening itself up because of COVID? Uh, or are now there are more scare tactics than ever that people are now doubling down on? There's no way. Because like I tried this for two months and I wanted to kill, you know, and pull my hair out kind of thing. Yeah, I, you've identified the, the forces in both direction here. I'm agnostic on the question at the moment. But I think that there may be some positive movement in the sort of alternative self-directed 
um, space because parents are getting a little window into their kids' school life and schoolwork. And when all the Zoom classes are happening at home and like mom or dad is, is looking at, you know, the class and saying, this is what you're doing all day. Like then sure. Then maybe there might be some parents saying like, okay, if when the fall comes and you're only allowed to go back to school two days a week or whatever, maybe we should just try doing something different. And so I have some hope there, but like you said, yeah, what's going on right now is not homeschooling or, you know, when school was in session, it, it's a remote schooling. It's like the worst version of homeschooling. Even lifelong homeschoolers were not homeschooling during stay at home orders. So yeah, there could be a lot of, of just false stereotypes being harbored. Well, I no, I think in what you just said, there's a lot of nuggets of gold in there in the sense that um, there was the most precious commodity of ever, and that is time. That was time to do things that weren't necessarily just compliance based. And well, full like that's something that we did. So when when we started this innovation class, a lot of other teachers were like interested, but I don't have time to do innovation stuff. I have to teach my algebra class or whatever. And so right before COVID happened, ironically enough, I did a little quick podcast on wouldn't it be crazy if we were forced to homeschool, thinking this COVID thing was you know just in China somewhere. And so when it happened, a lot of people are like, hey, I could really use like at least two weeks worth of content. Now's the time where I could like sneak that innovation stuff past the goalie. So we put some things out there and our biggest focus was, is like, what could you do that you're personally passionate about and identifying your talents and then move forward? And, and it was wonderful in the sense that like, this is now your time not to just comply. The hard part was getting kids to say, well, then do I get a grade on it? Hmm. Was still the compliance things that they said that they hated, but they were like looking the other direction, like, am I still getting an A? Uh, and I think that was, that's been the, 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 the tough part is that even when you take a traditional student, especially the later you go past sixth grade, you take a traditional student and you put them in a environment like a homeschooling environment to where like, no, seriously, what do you want to work on? Fear and panic sets in. Uh, and, and maybe less so because they're with mom or dad, but getting them to do things not because they want to, but because I'm not, not because they have to, because they want it is really the hard chasm to, to cross. So in, I'm sorry, you you wanting to say something. Well, you said maybe it's not as bad because of mom and dad. I'd like to say maybe it's worse because of mom and dad, <laughs> because they are harboring point. the, these sort of like <sighs> homeschooling one-on-one assumptions that they need to become the, the, the cop, the enforcer, the, the person who's, disciplining them you know essentially being a teacher at home that's a great is, point yeah it's just like so many homeschooling families start out like that and then they, they quickly realize this is documented actually you know that it's just not going to work like that and so maybe they'll do it for a year or two and everyone's pulling teeth and then they relax and they chill out and it turns more into an eclectic homeschooling situation with a mixture of you know self-directed learning and then also the, the non-negotiable stuff they're like all right you got to do math in a foreign language just give us that and the kids are like okay we, we've reached the taunt here uh, nice well i so okay this is where some of your audience is going to listen to this and i'm going to take some emails that's going to be angry um but there are some people that just see the unschooling movement as just batshit crazy <laughs> right <laughs> i try sure. to make that as offensive as possible I, and, I and, I'm, it. Yeah, I'm, and just hyperbole like i've had some <laughs> friends that like but the thing is they have some success like as well uh, ironically enough uh i had somebody in the interview um 
oh, uh, Tucker Max unschools his kids. Uh, Alanis uh, Morissette yeah. unschools her kids. Yeah. Um, in the sense that like that detente thing you were talking about, like like water finds its own level. And so they're like, we're cool with it. And, and at the same time, when you try to convince the I'm the police, I'm the homeschool police because you can't like, you have to answer to me, the unschooling movement is just crazy to them. Um, for those who don't know what unschooling is, just give your really quick version of it because I'm now getting myself in trouble. We don't discuss this. <laughs> I define unschooling as full-time self-directed learning. You could also say child-centered learning, uh, but you are taking advantage of very lax homeschooling laws in the United States to essentially do whatever you want with your kid and really follow their lead. And as a parent, you cease to become this boss or manager of your kid's education, and you become more like a business consultant. So you still have expertise, you can offer advice and guidance, but fundamentally a business consultant does not lose her shit when the business succeeds or fails or it does not believe it's to her credit or to her detriment. And so there's a certain kind of distancing that comes, which is not to say, you know, you don't love your kid or give them attention or affection. In fact, there's a really great argument to be made that by stepping away from this role of being the boss or manager of your kid's education and life, you can have a more genuine kind of one-on-one -on -one loving relationship with them. You can really improve the parent-child relationship by taking out this artifice of school or school at home. That was maybe the best description I've ever heard, especially as consultant. Kudos to you. Because like I've spent some time with some people that were trying to sell me on the idea, and I mean that in a loving way, um, because they knew that I had uh, opinions on wanting to make small changes to public education. And they were like, and, and, and so <laughs> I visited one place. I know he's going to listen to this and I hope that he's not going to get mad, but it was like the kids came there and just whatever. And whatever they, f if they felt like taking a nap that day, that was their thing. And when they felt compelled to want, and, and so they, they, they littered the place with like tactile, like drum sets, clay, like, like, so it was kind of cool, but my, my panic would take over. I'm like, what if they choose to do nothing? And then there was mom there. She's like, well, we unschooled our, our son. And for two years, he didn't do anything. He played video games and he slept. But then one day, and then she was like claiming that light went off and he accelerated to where then he was way below grade level and then zoomed past it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I talk about this all the time in the book. Like I call it the moment. And I believe this is part of like the folk psychology of unschooling. And it has to do with <laughs> extrins intrinsic motivation and what you described that mom who let uh, his son do nothing. And by that, we mean, you know, he's probably doing many things, but nothing that seems productive um, for two years. We call that the de-schooling period. And there's a rule of thumb for every year that a kid has been in school, give that kid a month to genuinely de-school without expectations. Yeah. But I, I've seen what this mom described happen over and over again. And, and this is what makes unschooling powerful and terrifying also, because you're putting faith that this moment is going to come. And it's like this kid's extrinsic motivation system, which is what has been primed through years and years of school or school at home now has to, you have to do a hard reset on it. And, you know, it will become intrinsic at some point, but you got to let that the kid really discover that for his or herself. Okay, you're really vibing with me now because I just had a vision. I'm wow. Mm, I got to be really careful how I say this because I've seen several people, one of which I'm related to, um, not on my side of the family, uh, that he was a straight A student, 
and never somebody else was responsible. And so he went through a very structured uh, education system to where he did the very minimum and he did what he was told, but he didn't do what he was want. And so that light bulb moment never occurred. So this mom was arguing, and really your point too is, when it happens, at least it happened. I've known, and we talk about this all the time in our foundation, one of the first things we do with our cohort kids is, okay, this is the project that I had to do that won me award to get to this cohort. I'm like, great, what are your talents and what do you want to do? What do you mean, what do I want to do? Like, that doesn't register. Like, what are you passionate about? What the hell is passion? My dad said I should be a lawyer, and so damn it, I'm going to be a lawyer. When all of a sudden that light bulb moment of, dude, I could do this. I could marry this passion with this talent. That's a whole different thing. And your argument, at least that happened. That they didn't usher their entire way through with just compliance, 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 compliance. Because one day people wake up and they don't have to comply. And then they're left with, well, what, what, what do you want me to do? So it, it all of a sudden made more sense to me now. But there is a certain bravery to A, live up to the expectations of your neighbors. Well, my son goes to the preparatory school and he's going to go to a... And then also just being, having faith that your daughter or son is going to have that light bulb moment. So I'd like to talk about the failure to launch nightmare. And a lot of parents think if I don't force my kids to work hard right now on abstract BS that has very little relevance to their lives, they will never learn to defer gratification. They will only live for the moment. And I think, okay, so what you're afraid of is that uh, your kid will never really develop any meaningful skills or knowledges and will end up at age 18, essentially kind of unemployable and perhaps not really super motivated to go to college. You know what? That happens to a lot of kids already who go through the conventional school system. And so we need to set the bar at the appropriate place. Now, I say, yeah it is a risk that a kid could fail to launch. And then you have a 19 year old, you know, living at home, wiping flaming hot Cheeto dust off their chest in your basement for a while. But if you've supported this kid, like an unschooling parent might, or a parent, you know, any parent who really cares about a kid's autonomy and, and independence, um, you're probably gonna have a good relationship with that kid. And you will be able to help them kind of get to the next stage. So that definitely could happen with unschooling. You could have a kid without a high school diploma, who is not ready to go to college and they're 19 and they're kind of lost and confused. But we need to consider the other very plausible scenario, which is that we force a kid to go through conventional K through 12, and then they do what all the other good students from school do, and they go straight into college without any knowledge of why they're doing that, except you know it's a herd movement. And then, they have a couple tens of thousands of dollars in debt and they don't yes. finish college because yes. I mean, that just happens so often. Freshmen drop out, sophomores drop out. And then you are in a really tough situation. Like I would much rather have the 19 year old who's a bit lost and confused and it needs to take some community college classes to catch up. than would I want to like damn my own 19 year old to having $30,000 in non-dischargeable student loan debt and feeling lost and confused and not quite sure where to go next. I can't agree more. I especially so that's my although to be fair, I think where the meat in the middle is um was my class. So like there's certain things that you should know, baseline things. I believe it or not, I'm still a fan of public education with an asterisk. Um 
with certain things. The pushing just towards college, I don't like. So the socialization and the fun of going to prom and walking down the hallway and trying to hold hands with the girl that you meet, et cetera, I love. The compliance, 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 testing for out really any reason, I don't. Where I loved the class was is that that was your hour and a half that you owned and you could open source your learning and then it's not what you know, it's who you know. I expected you to know people and I would make introductions. So that was the meet in the middle. Um, but you really sold me though on, well, actually in the same way though, like that was my role as a classroom teacher in the innovation and open source learning classes that I was more of a project manager. I was a consultant because I would tell the students several times, um, hey, what are you working on? And then they try to BS their way through it. I'm like, hey man, this is your class. Like you're disappointing me. I dropped the dad disappointment line, right? I'm like, you're disappointing me that you're not owning it. But seriously, I, I even one time I had a girl that she was upset and she was like, Mr. Wetrick, I'm just really stressed because like right now, you, you know, I have a B in your class and that's the only B I have. I'm like, okay, I'll give you an A. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. Like, what can I do? I'm like, you tell me. There are some compliance things there that you didn't do. And that was, I've had very few compliance things. I'm like, you didn't do them as well as you thought. So I gave you a B. But if you want an A, a, a you shall have. She felt guilty about it, but she took the A. Yeah. <laughs> and now she'll be a bit less stressed out. Maybe she'll actually do some good work in the class. And, and, and technically, that was the reason why I did it. And, and, and so I, I, I like the, the fact that you're, you're um, bringing up the fact that if, you, if that's all you do is the compliance stuff, you wake up one day, you're a junior in college, you now get a first taste of what that internship is going to bring. And you're like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. What if they had those opportunities in when they were 15, 16, 17? Like, this yeah. to me is so obvious. Yeah. And so I write a lot about engagement in the book and especially what engages teenagers, middle schoolers, high schoolers. And I borrow from Jane McGonigal's book, Reality is Broken, in which she defines a game as something that has clear goals, clear rules, effective feedback systems, and it's voluntarily chosen. And so good modern video games definitely fit the bill. But we could also apply that rubric to, uh, you know, band, drama, mock trial, robotics, all the extracurricular stuff, sports teams, the stuff that kids go to school for because they really love that. And then they put up with the compulsory academics part of school so they can continue to access the high quality extracurriculars. Um, I wasn't super into extracurriculars when I was in public school in California, but I really loved going to summer camp. And I went to this wilderness summer camp that was big on free choice. And I got into canoeing and windsurfing and wilderness backpacking. And those activities, you know, they just had such natural goals, rules, and feedback systems. I learned so much from them. And eventually, I thought, why can't something like summer camp be what we do year, you know, during the school year, and then we do a couple months of, of required, very important academics, you know, for, for two or three months? Why can't we flip this whole thing upside down and have those really engaging hands-on activities be the primary curriculum? Well, and, and as I hear you say that, I'm like, I think that's what, in some ways, I've seen some homeschool co-ops strive to do because they, like, they, they can gamify it. They can have more fun with it. They can introduce more different things than what the public school is going to offer. And I think that was one of the draws. So I, I, love, I love, actually, there was a book I read once like, um, 
uh, it was kind of gamifying your life, uh, level up your life. And, and just like, cause you're right. Students resonate with that. Heck adults do too. Um, so I, I, I like that perspective of one, I like Jane McGonigal, but two, yeah, if, if we had some of this criteria, um, it's clearly defined. Uh, matter of fact, we, we had a really big problem on our hands. We had a student once, wasn't mine, but he had gotten wind that if you're facing uh, suspension or expulsion, you could take, you could go to the in-school suspension room and go take the, his, I'm not going to say which class, but it was a math class of some sort. And he's like, the word got out. He's like, dude, I finished my semester in about three weeks. So then the kid goes up to the Dean and he's like, Hey, I, I want in. I, I want and this student had a bit of a history, uh, smart, but had a history. And the, the Dean said, uh, I can't put you in there. You have to be facing expulsion. And he says, I'm going to punch you in 30 seconds. <laughs> you have a decision to make. I'm going to get into this program by this way, or you can put me in there voluntarily and spare the punch. So he wanted those clearly defined goals. He wanted to at his pace and he wanted to take it on a computer. And I was like, you son of a gun. <laughs> he, he gamed the system and they put him in, by the way. I mean, why can't we let kids test out of high school whenever they want, whenever they're ready? Like, thank you. W- what is offensive about that idea? And, and I think the answer to that is, was actually kind of revealed by the, the COVID pandemic, which is that school to a large extent serves an important childcare function in our society. And so if you just let kids, I don't know, test out of high school early, but you have nowhere else to put them. They can't hang around the house. They can't, no one wants them hanging around the streets. That's a problem for a lot of people. So, well, and, and, and paying homage to a person we both admire, you know, the, 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 I've got the book right here, Lynchpen. There's a part in there. It said school can be broken. Like education can be boiled down to two things, solving interesting problems and then leadership to get it done. If our kids tested out of things, could we, could we have them help our town? Could we identify some problems that like, hey, you're kind of like, here's the thing we're facing. Help us out. True story. I, I'm actually going to have this guy on, on a podcast. We're setting up chapters all over the state and actually out of state. And what we do is once a month, we bring students together to do just that. They solve local problems, normally in the business relation or a lot of times for smaller nonprofits. And uh, this, this guy who owned a foam factory in a very remote part, very rural part of the state. and um, he says, my business was going under uh, because of COVID. He hired this kid who has multicolored hair uh, and was just looking to the military to get out. And he hires the student and he says, well, what's your persona online? And how are you attracting clients? And he says, what, what words did you just say? So he tweaks his LinkedIn. He looks for people that are looking into this. Anyway, long story made short, their sales are up 80% because of a 17-year-old who knew who, how to navigate LinkedIn. They now have a client in Japan who is their biggest buyer now. Solving interesting problems, leadership to get it done. And, and think of how empowering that is for that 17-year-old to actually have a role, to be doing something important that actually means something in the world. And adolescents throughout history were doing meaningful, important things, contributing to their societies or families somehow. And then all of a sudden, you know, about 100 years ago, we're like, okay, just we're going to pump the brakes on, on, on this because, you know, child labor is a really reprehensible thing. I'm glad that's gone. But then all of a sudden we have a bunch yeah. of adolescents. We don't know what to do with them anymore. So we create places for them and we call them schools and we create schoolwork to keep these kids busy. And that's just, you know, young people and adults, they can see through the artifice so quickly. 
It's like everyone knows it's just sort of an elaborate game that we're playing. You know, kids were testing you on your ability to demonstrate certain personality characteristics that, you know, signal you as a good productive worker, but really the work isn't that important. And so when a kid gets a chance to do actually important work, that's a game changer. Uh, yes. I think we are probably going to have a part two on this. We could jive for probably, we could do like a Joe Rogan four hour marathon at some point that I may need to schedule. Um, so let, let's, let's um, to this, actually a lot of my audience is shaking their heads so violently. Yes. But let's just say there's a couple of skeptics listening out there. Well, A, if you're not a skeptic and you're bouncing your head up and down, yes. Uh, go to Amazon. Uh, check it out. Uh, again, name is Blake Bowles. The official title is, again, why are you still sending your kids to school? Catchy title. Uh, but let's make that last plea. Somebody's a little bit on the fence. Why should they take a look at it? And, and we're, again, assuming that they're parents. Why is it urgent that a parent of, let's say, a third grader, listen, read, pick it up, consider this book? Well, I wrote the book for parents who see that school is not a good fit for their kids right now. And maybe it's not a good fit just for a little while. Maybe after this school year, everything's better. It was just a bad teacher, bad social situation, something like that. Yeah. But for those who see this kind of continued distress in their kids, um, I guess my plea is that something we touched on earlier, letting school kind of come into your family life and get in between you and your kid can be a really sad and destructive thing, I think. And you're only going to have your kid around for, you know, a few precious years, essentially before they become a teenager with enough autonomy to go off and do whatever they want all day. And like during that time, are you going to let school, you know, kind of invade your home and your relationship with your kid? Because that's what it does to so many. And there are all these options out there that some of them are home-based, some of them are school-based, some of them are public, some of them are private. There are so many ways that you can help your kids still feel engaged, still gain important skills and you know critical thinking that don't look like conventional school. And so it's just worth your time to spend just a little bit of time investigating what those alternatives are, how they work, what they look like, and then you can test them out. And if they don't work, you can always go back to regular school like that that is a good default option i'm glad we have a fallback option here in the united states but if you're not exploring all the alternatives and your kid is clearly suffering in school then a little bit of work can prove extremely valuable in the long run like i've enjoyed this conversation so much i promise you there will be a part two because uh there's this so much going on in my head that it would open up a different can of worms. Uh, so that I, I, I will promise you there will be a part two. Uh, but I appreciate the work you're doing um, in a thoughtful way and not a fire and brimstone way. Uh, I think that's needed. Uh, I, I, unfortunately, everything is political. Everything is political. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure that uh, by, by being nuanced and, and kind, hopefully you're avoiding some of that fiasco awfulness. But um, I, I think this is a really important time and, and I, I really think this book is coming out at the right moment too. I think it's perfect that as people are now taking a look under the hood uh, of what their child's curriculum is, they need to, to uh, consider some, some options, whether that be staying and enhancing 
or going another direction. So I appreciate the work you've done. Uh, again, Blake Bowles, check him out. Uh, any places you want to follow you, LinkedIn, Twitter, where, where we got? I'm actually kind of old school. I'm on Facebook. And, and nothing uh, wrong with that. Actually, so are most parents, by the way. That's so right. That's where absolutely. that's where a lot of the homeschooling moms are too. Uh, and and blakebowls.com for everything else. All right. Again, Blake, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a real pleasure. Looking forward to part two, Don. 